In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tribal Instinct coming down in three, two, one. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks for sticking me in your ear. On this episode, The Tribal Instinct, The Sacred Desire for People and Place, a brand new book from writer Forrest Moretti. And let me just crib from the, uh, the back cover to give you a sense of where we're going for the next uh, 50 minutes or so. While the world is seemingly moving away from tribes, many are not. They're seeking ways to reconnect with their people and form communities that have far more meaning and purpose than neighborhood HOAs or anonymous internet forums. For those struggling to understand who their people are and where their place is, the tribal instinct will offer a welcome breath of fresh air into your search. Forrest Moretti uh, graduated from uh, Wake Forest University with a degree in religion and music. He applied his trade in the film industry for several several years, working on several Muppet movies, four seasons of Dawson's Creek, many other films and television shows as an audio engineer, editor, composer, animator. 
He had transitioned into technology as a designer and developer for visual effects, software, and CTO as Next Glass, now called Untapped. And he's also creator of the uh, popular My Incredible Opinion and Vax Baby video series. Uh, he's spent the last few years researching and writing about some of the more or the most enigmatic riddles of science and medicine, notably autism and polio. He's spoken at events and conferences around the country, uh, but prefers to stay close to his writing. Uh, and uh, he does most of that in his 1992 F-150, where many of his manuscripts were composed. He's the author of The, the Autism Vaccine, Crooked, Man-Made Disease Explained, Unvaccinated, The Moth in the Iron Lung, and uh, his latest, The Tribal Instinct, The Sacred Desire for People and Place. Forrest, welcome. How are you? Hey, Richard. I'm great. Uh, it's good to be here again. I think it's been a year or two since we've spoken. I'm always uh, glad to to hang out with you for an hour. Thanks for having me on. Likewise. Well, you're a, you're a powerful writer. Uh, and uh, it's a this is a powerful book. It's kind of a, a survival guide in a way. Uh, I guess the question we should address, though, is what are we trying to survive? Because there's a wonderful line in the book. You say that we are about to engage in, an, or maybe we are, we are engaged in an epic battle between the good, the beautiful, and the true, and those who reject it. I love that line. But just mm. explain what you meant by that. Well, I think uh, people sense that there's there's something going on right now there's some battle now some may take take it on as sort of a spiritual essence which i think is a valid way to describe it others may take it as a battle between uh, collectivists and individualists you know those who would prefer to be left alone versus those who would uh, uh, prefer that um, together we as a group decide what's best for the world and there's all these sorts of things at play i think they're all valid assertions about what's going on. My understanding is, is sort of the, the meta-narrative of, of all these truths that people like you and I seek to understand is um, there are people who reject hierarchy, who reject uh, design, who reject beautiful things. You know, the, the world in and of its own accord is is not likely to produce beauty or or art or uh, truth. You know, it it it's it requires work to get those things to happen. And it, it's like, have you ever gone uh, on a hike uh, by a creek or a river, and and someone has stacked a few stones on top of each other? And it's always a really neat thing to to see someone's taken the time to balance these things. Now. We don't find those things by accident. Uh, I mean, they weren't created by accident. It's very rare that they would. If you see it, you know someone took the time to make it. Now, there is an instinct that people have to knock those things over. There's just something, you know, as a kid, do you remember this? If, oh, yeah. if your brother stacks some, some blocks on top of each other and you walk in the room, what is it? What is your burning desire? It's to knock it over. It's just something in us. And uh, same for sandcastles, this sort of thing. So I think there is a part of humanity that is currently rejecting um, all of the effort, all of the work that humans have put into building beautiful things, uh, to building intricate things, to, to having truth, to having religious faith. Um, I mean, you can see it in architecture. You can see it in um, 
music in in the fashion industry you know anywhere you look there is this race to erase any distinction uh, any sort of meritocracy that might suggest it's worth trying to get better you know it's worth trying to better yourself it's worth it to try and suffer for the greater good to make an investment in things so that you know, people, as the saying is, people will shit, sit under the, sit in the shade of the trees, you you know, uh, that you never get to experience. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's a long conversation, but I think it has a spiritual aspect to it. I think it has a, um, a once in a human history aspect to it. I don't really see uh, this ha- ever having, having happened before where people are are rejecting the notion of gender distinction people are rejecting the notion of any sort of distinction at all between uh humans between animals you know it, it's a it's a it's a dangerous it's a dangerous thing i guess for shorthand sometimes we refer to it as the culture war mm. um, and uh you know this as you say this erasing of boundaries, national boundaries, the distinction between sexes, between species, mm-hmm. uh, this kind of this top-down, one-size-fits-all fit, type of approach, um, this system to replace culture and language and tradition and faith and all of these things from the top down. Sometimes we refer to that as, you know, globalism or the, the globalists versus the, the populists. It has many names. Um, but I, the, the spiritual aspect, and I, I, I agree, this is spiritual warfare. Um, and as a Christian, we, well, you, you begin the book talking about Rod Dreher's 2017 book, The Benedict Option, which is basically a, a, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation. He's basically saying, do like Benedict did back in the sixth century in Rome. You know, we're not going to be able to uh, survive in this secular world. We need to retreat. We need to strengthen our Christian institutions. We need to build a parallel society, homeschool, and so forth. Uh, and a lot of people that I know have taken that to heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say that's not enough. It's not going to do the trick. It's too late in the game for that. Explain. Well, you know, I have a saying, um, peace takes two, war only one. And the desire, I appreciate the desire for peace. I, I really do. And, and I'm not a pacifist, but I'm also not a sadist. I, I, I abhor violence. Um, I used to take Japanese beetles and turn them over on their feet before I went to bed each night during the summer where I grew up because I, I couldn't go to sleep if I thought there was a single beetle struggling to right itself on the driveway outside of my house. So just this is my little anecdotal evidence. I'm a very peaceable person. At the same time, I understand that there are worldviews that don't allow for divergence. They don't allow for people to believe differently. Um, Mine does. My understanding of the world, world allows that other people may disagree with me, and I'm okay with that. Unfortunately, there are a lot of belief systems that don't. And to suggest that retreating, even if only temporarily, and, and sort of letting the storm pass you over, it, it may have worked um, hundreds of years ago. 
I don't think it will work now. I, I don't think um, the interconnectedness of our society will allow for it. I don't think the um, vigorous nature in which certain ideologies want to defend themselves will allow for it. I think um, there are things coming into play in the future like digital currencies, digital identification, there are all sorts of tools which will preclude people from being able to just sort of ride it out without a very intentional um, move to, to prepare themselves for it. So I would love if you could say, hey, you know, let, let's, let's just hunker down for 20, 30 years. Let's wait a generation and, and this will all be over with. And, and, and you and I and all our buddies and friends, we can go live amongst the Amish and the Mennonite in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, I would love for that. I would, I would want nothing more for that. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think, um, like I said, peace takes two and, and both sides are not willing for it. I'm willing for it. I don't think the other side is. So I do think uh, vaccine mandates, digital currency, digital identification, all these things that we've seen really start to surface in the last couple of years, I, I, I expect them to increase. So that brings us to the tribe. Uh, mm. If we are not going to, uh, I guess, survive this epic battle uh, through the Benedict option, then we must seek out tribes. So let's get into, uh, let's define, what, what do you mean by a tribe? Well, uh, before I even explain that, I, I will say this notion of tribe, the, the, the way I even came up with it was this sort of feeling of emptiness that a lot of, a lot of people have. I, I certainly you know, have felt it. Uh, other people have felt it, I think, very acutely in the last few years as people like us who have, let's say, resisted mass vaccination or said, hey, wait a minute, maybe digital currency isn't the way forward. Uh, we have felt this increasing isolation from friends and family. And, and at the same time, you know, the, the rise in dystopian fantasies like the Hunger Games or the road or these sorts of um, visions of the future where everything has gone wrong and people are banding together trying to survive. I, I just started to really think, why do we feel that? What, what is that desire that I, I feel, that instinctual desire of belonging beyond my favorite sports team, beyond whatever church I go to? I mean, there are human connections that happen at a much more primal level that most of us aren't experiencing. And many of us, the younger folks especially, have never experienced. And uh, you know, I have a son, he's, he's just graduated high school. He, he may, you know, get married and start his own family sometime soon. And I was thinking, what do I want for him and his family? And, and it's not where we're currently headed. You know, we're, we're in a very bad direction in my mind. So I started realizing that there is an instinctual desire of humans to belong to some group, some bond, like I said, that extends beyond uh, your, your nation, that extends beyond whatever church you have to go to, you, 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 not, you have to go to, but whatever church you do go to. And, and 
as I've mentioned in the book, part of that, I, I sort of realized through a natural disaster, you know, I, after a hurricane, we get a lot of hurricanes down here. And it, it's amazing, the neighbors that sort of come out of the woodwork and start offering to help each other, like, hey, does your chainsaw work? Do you mind if I borrow it? Or I'm too scared to use a chainsaw. Would you mind cutting this branch so I can get my car out of my driveway? I mean, do you have enough gas for your generator? Like all these sorts of co cooperation comes out of the woodwork before and after a hurricane. And it's always, um, it's a bittersweet thing to see because as soon as the storm is gone and power is back on and the generators are off, it's like, okay, back to your little shell and nobody talked to each other anymore. And um, I, I've, I've missed what those things bring. And, um, you know, Sebastian Younger, the guy that wrote uh, The Perfect Storm has a book called, uh, I think it's called Tribes. And, and he talks a lot about this, about how people um, in war and not just soldiers, but even civilians who suffered through war, there's something afterwards that they miss about it. it it's a very, uh, it feels unintuitive, but they will freely admit that they were happier during the war when they suffered. And uh, I think that's part of my search for tribe is uh, what, what has technology brought us that's good for certain, there are those things, but what has it brought us that is bad? And, and that's the thing most people don't really have that inner dialogue to, to try and go over and try and understand. So just uh, getting back to um, Dreher's book, The Benedict Option, and you, and you say where the, you know, the church is not going to do it for us on its own. Uh, you, there's a line there you say uh, something about it, we, it's not about tribalizing the church or it's about sanctifying the tribe. I, I don't think I have that right. but Yeah, no, no that's right, actually. There's a tendency, and, and this is, I'm not sure, you know, the demographic of your listeners, but I, I'm a Christian. And, and so I sort of approach it in that mindset. And it can apply elsewhere, but let's just for, for the moment assume that context. Um, there's a tendency for people to make their church into a tribe, to hope for it to be the tribe. So with the absence of those intimate bonds that humans have enjoyed for most of our species, the history of our species, um, the church has sort of become that. You know, we, we see these people on a Sunday, we may see them on a Wednesday evening. We, we share our, our needs with each other. We pray together. I mean, this is a very intimate act is to, to bear your soul with other people and say, I need help with this. My marriage is failing. My son is addicted to this. And, and my father is, is done this and is in jail and all these sorts of things you share with those people. Um, you know, outside of church, that doesn't happen very often. Um, my, my regret is, unfortunately, church doesn't provide enough of a bond for tribe because normally churches are based on, do you like the pastor and do you like the music? You know, do you prefer drums and guitars or are you a pipe organ choir guy? Right. And a lot of churches split it down the middle and they have like a nine o'clock old fart service and then a 1030, you know, fog machine and laser beam service and it, it just feels so horrible that this church is like split down the middle because um because of a musical difference desperately trying to remain relevant 
Yes. And, and um, you know, the doctrine, interestingly enough, for a lot of people, doesn't really matter. It's like, you know, you could, are you, a, you know, pick some theological nuance and, and you might have people over here and over here and they go to church together all the time, don't even know about it. They don't even know that nuance exists and they're perfectly fine with it. And I think that's fine. Um, my point is, I think tribe is designed to have alignment on many more things than a church would typically allow for. It might be political. It might be sociological. It might be all kinds of things. But my understanding of the way things should work is tribe comes first and churches emanate out of that. You, you know, you have a group of people that you are bound together through thick or thin to help each other, to know each other's needs and, and, and all these things. And maybe different churches come out of that. There may be a, a sort of modern, non-denominational, you know, typical sort of mega church style thing. And then there might be some sort of reformed Calvinist, very orthodox thing over here. And that's fine. Um, but to suppose that you're going to find enough people to really bond together uh, just from a love of particular style of music or just from a, a, a appreciation for a particular doctrine, I don't think it's enough. I think tribes need more than that. You know, their children need to marry each other. They need to speak the same language. They need to grow up in the same place. These remote church services because of COVID and all these other things are, are interesting and have probably served some value. But to me, this is like the opposite direction of the way it tribe. There, there is no remote tribe. There is no Zoom call for tribe. You know, you live together, you break bread together. You borrow each other's lawnmowers on the weekend. You bury and, each other. Yes, yes. That that is much more profound. But yes, uh, you share each other's burdens, even even in death. And that's what we're missing. That's what I think most of the world, most of human history, has enjoyed that, taken it for granted because it was assumed that's the way the world would always work. And we've gotten into the technological age where international travel is cheap enough and national identities are poor enough that we have a, a mix of cultures and languages that don't lend themselves to this. They, they make it, um, there, there's some good that comes out of it. Now people always say, what about the food? And what about the music? I'm like, yes, those are good things. I, 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 love, I love some uh, quesadillas. And um, anyway, I, I think there is a loss of identity through the disappearance of tribe that I think people are just starting to realize. I mean, it would cut me off if you need to. Well, we'll, uh, we'll pick up on that, that point when we come back. Uh, the Tribal Instinct, Forrest Moretti, back with more in a moment. Truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Writer Forrest Moretti is here. The new one is The Tribal Instinct, The Sacred Desire for People in Place. And we were discussing, you know, what makes a tribe. 
um, there's also it's 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 finding you know your people and we can get into a discussion about how well who are my people and how do I find my people but there's also as is mentioned in the uh, the subtitle and that is place a sense of place and you point out I'm not even going to try and pronounce it but there's a Welsh name that has no translation in English it has to do with a sense of you know longing for a place that you can never return to mm. yeah they call it Horaeth I mean there's I'm sure there's a million variants on that I'm probably saying it wrong but they call it a feeling of homesickness for a home uh, to which you cannot return to a home which you may not have even ever known but you sense it's there you feel it um and and it's it's a strange uh it's a strange pain that i think when people hear about the word they they sort of realize yeah i i felt that i don't i never knew how to put it into words but i have this feeling of having lost something that i didn't know i ever had and and my take is that that's tribe that's this feeling of people and place this bond of humanity that you don't get at school you don't get it through your job you don't get it through sports affiliate team affiliations you don't get it through church it, it really comes only through uh, the sacrifice the alignment the unity that comes from having a group of people that are are extremely tight and and live together and as you said bury their dead together and marry together and all these sorts of things uh, i i think it's you know i i thought about this if you don't mind real quick imagine there was there was no, no such thing as exercise or sports okay and technology had gotten to the point as it has now where we have computers and air conditioning in our cars and and we have cars that we can travel along the road in. All these sorts of advances that have, have allowed us to, to get fat and to lose muscle tone and, and become unhealthy. And imagine we were sitting around here pondering, we're missing something. Look at us. We're all morbidly obese. We're, we can't walk down a flight of stairs without our knees hurting we can't walk a mile without getting out of breath why do we feel this way imagine the confusion of that mm. and then someone were to come along and say hey guess what i've got an idea you're gonna think i'm crazy but i'm gonna take some metal plates i'm gonna form them into circles and put them on the ends of bars and we're gonna go to a room and we're gonna like move them around and somebody would say, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And you say, trust me, trust me. If you do this three times a week, you may start to see some improvement. You'll start to feel less flabby. Now, okay, this is obviously an anecdotal example. We are at this same place, in my opinion, with tribe. We have lost something, like in my analogy, it was health, it was exercise, it was physical fitness through hard work. We've lost something and that society and technology have provided for us in such a way we don't struggle. We can, if we need eggs, we go to the grocery store, we take out a piece of plastic, a little card and swipe it through and boom, we've got eggs. Everything that used to make us healthy through hard work, we have sort of realized, you know what? We have to make an adjustment. We have to simulate through going to the gym, through watching what you eat. You can't eat whatever you want. You have to be a little more careful. Like we've made that adjustment as a culture, or we, we at least recognize that we need to. 
In that same way, we've lost, instead of lost muscle tone or health, we've lost meaning and purpose and belonging. And we don't know what to do yet. We don't have the gym to go to. We don't have the DVDs of the workout videos of the aerobic step thing. I mean, this is what the tribal instinct is in a way saying, hey, guess what? You feel it. I know you feel something missing. It's over here. It, there's not, there's not, unfortunately, there's not a building you can go to. There's no weights you can lift. It's a mindset adjustment. It's a lifestyle adjustment. It's a purposeful desire to find your people and your place and start living together. But I think it's just as crucial to our mental health as eating well and exercise are to our physical health. You, you can look and see humankind is not doing well mentally, you know, that we are at a bad place. I mean, we, we are drugged out to the hilt and we still suffer even with the best science can offer. And my, my feeling is we've got gyms, we've got sports, we've got diets, we've got organic food. We need to do that same thing for meaning and purpose. And, and it's not going to come through the gym and it's not going to come through exercise or eating well. It's going to come through tribe, finding your people in place. How do, who are my people? How do I find my people? How does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it depends. Uh, you know, I, it's funny. I actually started, uh, I, I bought a domain tribal.org and, and I'm sitting on it right now because, uh, it, you know, I, I love your bumper when we came out of the break and it says trees will set you free, but it's going to, it's going to hurt sometimes. Or is that something along those lines? It's going to tick you off. Yeah. It's going to tick you off. Yeah. You're used to this. I'm used to this. We have grown a muscle where we enjoy the, the, the twisting of the mind. They're like, wait a minute. I always thought it was this way, but you're telling me it's something different. You know, we've developed that instinct to know when we're, basing our belief on consensus or on historical conjecture. And, and a lot of people aren't there yet. You know, COVID has been a blessing in disguise in that a lot of people have begun to question things that they assumed were true. And I thank God for that. Uh, although the price that we may end up paying for it, it, it may be far greater than we currently realize, regardless um, there are people that are, are starting to feel that tribal instinct, that search for people in place, but I don't think there's enough people yet. I, I haven't put the website up yet, but essentially what it is, I, I call it, it's almost like a dating site for families. It's a dating site for people who, who may be single. They may be married. They may have a, a multi-generational and they may say, you know what? <clears throat> We, we feel this, we feel this tug to find our place, a place where we want to be buried, a place where we want our children to grow up and live. And we want to find alignment on all these different issues, whatever they are. And um, it might not be music. It might be something more profound than that. And I think something like that is going to happen. I mean, there, there's a thing called intentional communities. I, I think there's a website for it where people are already doing this. They're mostly hippies, you know, who are <clears throat> disenfranchised with the world and have sort of a Marxist collectivist mindset where they want to share each other's burdens 
perfectly where there's perfect equality and no meritocracy, and, and that's fine. I, I support them in doing that if that's what they feel like they, they want to do. But I don't think something like that exists yet uh, for people of faith. And I don't think they're desperate enough for it yet. You know, years ago, I, I was shocked that more people weren't questioning vaccines or other, you know, sort of low-hanging fruit of the conspiracy theorists like ourselves. Um, people are starting to question that now, but I think the notion that um, your life has no meaning because, not because you have the wrong job or not because you're not making as much money as you want to, but something much more profound that money will never buy you. I don't care if you've got a hundred billion dollars to your name. And in fact, you're more unlikely to, to need tribe, the more money you have, the more unhappy you're likely to be. So how do you find them? It's hard right now. I think you're seeing people start to, to sort of reach out and start to feel that tug. Um, I think seeing counties in America, you know, we have states and they're within the states, there are counties and you see counties are starting to say, you know what? We don't belong to Oregon. We're more of an Idaho. Mm -hmm. This is something that just happened. I yes. think there's several counties in Eastern Oregon that have said, we don't want to be here. In Northern California. I, oh, is that right? As well, yeah. Yeah, so I think when you start to see that actually go through, and they voted, and, and as a county, they have voted to officially say, we, we are indicating our desire to do this. Now, there's no real legal precedent for it. I think it would take the approval of Congress and the Senate and some other parties. Regardless, that is essentially the, the canary in the coal mind of this tribal instinct of people saying, we, we don't want to be here. Now, you might argue that's just a political shift is all it is. I think it's more profound than that. I, I think it's far more, more profound. I agree. I think there is uh, a, a mechanism for it because that's how West Virginia became West Virginia. It split off from Virginia. Um, yeah. I was curious. I, I knew that that had happened. And I know there are uh, counties in Western Virginia that are trying to move into West Virginia proper. I, I didn't know if that was a one-off or it was something that actually had some language in our legal framework that would, you know, sort of make it official. It must in some way, I suppose. Why, um, why do the, what do we call them? The, 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 the illiberal progressives, the secularists, the materialists, whatever you want to call them, why do they hate tribes? Well, um, my take uh, for what, I mean, they hate nations and, and tribes are the component of nations in my mind and they can't even stand nations. So if, if they don't, uh, if they can't handle the concept of nationhood, they're definitely not going to like tribes. Um, my understanding, and, and as someone who's not a liberal, uh, I, I, I can only presume, my take is they, more than anything, reject the notion that nature is, is full of inequality. They reject the notion that this is necessary for creation or nature to function properly. I mean, I use this example in some other book, but imagine a mousetrap made of nine identical pieces, okay? Nine identically shaped pieces. 
this, this is not a machine. It would never do anything. For a machine to work, you need things that can bend. You need things that uh, are stiff and hard. You need big things. You need little things. Like everything serves a purpose in the machine to make it work. I think there are a lot of people who don't like that. They want everything to be perfectly equal. They reject hierarchy of any kind. So this is clearly evident in, in feminism and, and modern feminism, I'll call it, and, and trying to presume that all uh, genders are equal and um, the notion that maybe uh, men should be fighting in wars and, and maybe you know women are precious and, and we don't want to create a society in which we send women into battle. Like, I, I think that's a noble thing. Uh, some people would disagree. It, it's not about whether women can fight as well as men, although there's certainly a case to be made for that. Uh, but regardless, I, I, don't, I just don't think it's right. I think there's a difference there and, and I want them to be different. I, I'm right. okay with that. Yes, I mean... <laughs> This is the new religion, right? It's uh, it's not even equality; it's equity, and people tend to confuse. They think equity means equality, and they're two different things. Um, we'll take another time out for us, and uh, we'll get sure. into. You mentioned feminism. It's it's interesting the the uh, birth of three separate forces, if if you will. You, mm. you cite they they all coincidentally, or maybe not, happened in the very same year. Feminism is one, and we'll talk about the other two as well. Forrest Moretti author of The Tribal Instinct, back with more right after this. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. Self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Forrest Moretti, The Tribal Instinct, The Sacred Desire for People in Place. So uh, we were discussing, you know, why the left, the progressives, why they hate tribes. And you say, for, you know, for the same reason that they hate the nation state. Uh, they want to obliterate borders. They want to obliterate boundaries. Um, and you mentioned uh, feminism. And um, I think, you know, one of the, the great... Uh, hoaxes or whatever, the feminism, that they equated equality with sameness, uh, that men are the same as women. It's kind of an example of that. Um, so this idea that they hate inequality, which is a natural part of the universe, and creation, rather, as you'll, I'm sure you'll get into, um, they, hate, they hate hierarchy, uh, Let's just unpack that a little bit. What is it about, for example, hierarchy and inequality that that they uh, they they just can't countenance? Yeah, well, it's I mean, uh, again, from the Christian context, it, it is the original sin. If you uh, look at the Genesis account of creation, what was the very first sin? It was mankind through Eve or Adam or however you want to argue that, realizing that, hey, God, the creator, it's not just your buddy. He's above you. And in fact, you are nothing compared to him. 
You have none of the sovereignty, none of the omniscience, nothing. You are literally an ant. And, and that was the first sin was this realization that, wait a minute, I, I thought we were all buds here. You know, it's like Adam and even God, we're like a little, you know, little tribe. And when, and, and whether you accept it metaphorically or literally, it doesn't matter. It's the same outcome, which has, uh, humans didn't like the notion that something was above them, that there was something more noble than them, something more beautiful than them. And that was the initial sin, which you might cast it in terms of pride, that started um, the fall of man. So fast forward to however many thousands of years later, however you want to think of time in the uh, biblical context, um, we have humankind doing the same thing. We're rejecting the notion that... Um, some things may be stronger than others. We're rejecting the notion that some things may bear children and others may not. All these sorts of um, idiosyncrasies of creation um, that extend into plants and animals and even beyond earth into the cosmos itself, there's all sorts of symbiotic relations that make the universe function and humankind doesn't like that. They want everything to be even and fair. And it's not, it's not fair that they're faster than me. And it's not fair that they earn more money than me. And, and this, is, this is childhood 101. These, these are children who never grew into adults, who refuse to accept that um, nature is full of inequality. And in fact, it's a necessary component for humans to survive. We, we wouldn't survive without it. So unpacking it starts all the way back, in my opinion, in the creation story where we rejected the very first inequality, which is we're not God, we're different. And, and it's continued to the point now where we have humans refusing to accept that animals are lower on the totem pole than they are. Uh, refusing to accept that um, our planet may be more um, beautiful than any other planet in the solar system. You know, all, all these sorts of things, you know, you, you see surfacing in, in different ways. But at the heart of it, it's humankind rejecting the notion that, that there are differences, that there are hierarchies, and that not everything is going to be fair. So when you were asking this question in the book, The Tribal Instinct, about, you know, what happened to tribes, and, and you mentioned, you know, the feminist movement, and you actually pinpointed this, I, I didn't know, you pinpointed it's the birth of the modern feminist movement to 1846, and that same year, we also had Karl Marx. Yeah, and 1848. Had, 1848, yeah. sorry. And then we had Charles Darwin. How did they all, how did those all work together? Well, um, the, uh, this is another, you know, my, my books are, are a, a ton of work, a ton of research, and they're for a very particular audience. Um, and, and I've got a book that I've been stewing on. Uh, I call it 1848 because the year is very significant. I think 1848 in the arc of human history from beginning to end, that will be 
probably one of the most significant landmarks. I mean, you might think of uh, the switch from nomadic lifestyle to sedentary. You know, these, you remember these things as kids, right? What, what are these big things, invention of electricity and so on? I think, no, I think all those things will pale in comparison to what happened in 1848. And essentially, um, you know, Karl Marx publishes Communist Manifesto, okay? That's, that's one. You have this uh, gal named Elizabeth Cady Stanton who... Um, with some other ladies wrote this thing called the Declaration of Sentiment. And that is essentially known as the birthplace of feminism is in, I think it was, it was at a Seneca Falls or somewhere like that in New York. Mm-hmm. And, and they had a conference to, to, to sort of begin the notion that um, of feminism. Now there were some valid things as is the case with everything. If you're an honest person, you allow f- for the fact that there were some there were some some legitimate complaints they had there. What we've ended up with is, is not legitimate. So uh, Karl Marx, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and then it wasn't actually Darwin; it was Alfred Russell Wallace, the, the original anti-vaxer of the world, um, who actually, I, I would argue, in many ways, is the founder of evolution. Uh, he just didn't have the PR and charisma that Darwin did. So Darwin gets all the credit, but Alfred Russell Wallace was in a lot of ways, he was actually uh, pushing the needle a lot harder than Darwin was. But in 1848, Karl Marx publishes Communist Manifesto. Elizabeth Cady Stanton and her gals have this declaration of sentiment, birthplace of feminism. And Alfred Russell Wallace travels to Brazil to collect specimens for this thing. He's got this idea they call natural selection, or that's what they ended up calling it. All of those have all those things happened in 1848. They are what has become uh, communism, feminism, and evolutionary thought. The three things, the diabolical trinity of the, the decline of, of mankind, in my mind, these three things together have sort of coalesced into forming the decline uh, of, of humanity. I, I think if you tra- trace humankind, there, there was a lot of progress on that point. Our art became more beautiful. Our governments became more free. We, you know, we started to understand that humans have natural rights and um, whether and then the government is given permission to do things rather than the other way around. I mean, there were a lot of advances in humankind. And then 1848. And I think uh, it's sad to say it. I'm an optimist in a lot of ways. But I think uh, you look at architecture, you listen to music, you look at family structure, you look at the role of faith in people's lives, you look at war and the ability for humans to kill each other in mass. You look at medicine and science and the ability to kill each other in mass. I think you'll see uh, 1848 was the beginning of, of a decline that I think will continue for a very long time. Hopefully, I'll be able to finish that book one day if I can write some books that sell better and don't have, because it, it won't sell very well. It's a very interesting story, but I, I think it it's too cerebral or. I don't know. Us knuckleheads like you and me, we we like stuff like this. So hopefully there's some other people out there. But the, I mean, it's all three of those forces, movements, philosophies um, are in, 
in uh, contradiction to tribalism because tribalism is by nature it's about inequality it's about hierarchy it's about you know and that and that's one of the the, the beautiful things about creation god's creation i mean it, mm. it contains hierarchies but um as you point out in it was a great line uh, in terms of evolution how evolution basically concluded that we we are here we are who we are because we are a, a we are the uh, a success of our mis- uh, what's the word you use um, success of our mistakes mhm yeah so yeah mistakes we we are flawed but we can we can fix those things yeah i i I, I think I said that, uh, yeah, creation feature, not perfection, but instead the most successful mistakes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, evolution, f- forget the mechanic of it. Uh, you know, amino acids, su- primordial soup, natural selection, et cetera. Forget that for a moment. And just think about what it supposes. It supposes that um, creation is not perfect, that it's the result of mistakes and that it can be perfected. And that in fact, we are probably infinitely away from perfection. If, if time goes on forever, which we, in some, you know, worldviews, you assume that it does, um, this suggests that we are so far from achieving our maximum potential. And, and that, in fact, we are probably living amongst some horrible errors that we just haven't realized yet. And, and this is always sort of the interesting thing as someone who's, I don't believe in evolution in terms of the classic Darwinist version of it, and that there's, there's just no mistakes anywhere. Like everything just seems perfect. There's not a lot of pruning that needs to be done. I mean, everything is sort of perfectly suited and, and you, you feel like there's gotta be some mistake. I mean, you might argue, like the flightless birds or something like that is but regardless i think evolution is is difficult to square uh, as someone who's a fan of the good and beautiful and the true in that it suggests things aren't good and they're not beautiful and they're not true it suggests we're, we're living amongst a lot of mistakes that need to be corrected and given the the fact that human pride pro- proliferates uh typically through the suffering of other humans what you see through feminism and communism is the desire of certain enlightened humans to project their understanding of the way we need to achieve that perfection onto others. And that's how you end up with uh, Mao Zedong and you end up with Pol Pot and you end up with all the other suffering of the millions dead, the, the um, gulags. This is how you end up with it is the worldview that things need to be fixed. You know, things aren't good. We as humans need to fix it. I mean, C.S. Lewis has a famous famous quote about saying, you know, forget the evil guys. It's the good guys that I'm afraid of. The, the guys that are convinced they have the moral high ground to do what is right. They will always cause more suffering and destruction than a guy who will freely admit he's evil. Right, right. Yeah, they're the, uh, yeah, uh, good intentions. <laughs> Yeah, road to hell, pay with good intentions. Yeah. Uh, couldn't be more true, uh, especially when you get people with money and access to technology and government power. So it seems, though, 
although you know we're we're in the early stages and, and you mentioned this website tribal.org and you know we're, we don't have the numbers there yet it's not it's not live it's it's there's nothing there but, but yeah the idea that that um it seems to be the this this the search for people and place seems to be the natural response to these forces of globalism because we're starting to see it break out now for example in in europe and we had a uh, the Prime Minister uh, or the um, Georgia Maloney in Italy, who was elected oh, right. on a campaign of you know faith, family, and culture, um, and there's some data I you know I've seen from Pew Research which tends to suggest that that is a growing trend <clears throat> in in Europe. That and we and we're seeing you know countries like Hungary or Poland um, more sort of conservative populist movements. Uh, it doesn't happen as quickly in the U.S., but you have parties that virtually overnight, it seems, in Europe can either attain power or at least have enough influence to force, you know, the government to to become sort of less globalist and, and so forth. Are, are you seeing any trends that give you any, I mean, you talk about being unabashedly pe pessimistic in the book, but uh, are you seeing any, any trends that, that lead you to be somewhat hopeful about a return to tribe? Well... I think it's inevitable. I, the timeline, I can't say. I think it's inevitable. My optimism or pessimism vacillates on whether can we can we get there peacefully. <laughs> you know, my my hope is we can get there peacefully. Uh, my hope is that um, you know, typically, um, a, a lot of there, there's a, a saying that it, it says diversity plus proximity equals war. And it's this notion that you get a lot of heavily contrasting cultures and people in place in the same place, and you end up with tension. And this is proven out time and again throughout history. Now, the hubris of mankind believes that this time is different. You know, if there's anything that humankind could have writ large on its tombstone when all is said and done, and uh, and creation has run its course, it would be this time wasn't different. That's right. Venezuela, <laughs> that, this time we'll get socialism right. Yeah, it, and it applies to everything. It's not, you know, ever that socialism and communism are the, are the running gag that this time is different, but we, we believe it in everything. Mm. We believe um, knowledge to be superior than wisdom, which is a, a, a real shame that society has sort of lost hold of the fact that look the wisdom of the ancients is valid you know there's okay the bible is sort of my wisdom of the ancients take whatever faith you have there's a reason there's stuff in there okay if they're telling you don't do this there's a reason it's not because they were prudes it's because they did it before and they realized it didn't work i mean this is you know my tribe i call it hungerstone what, do you know what the hunger stones are? They're these stones that are buried underneath water in, in certain rivers in Europe. And when the water drops low enough, they have messages you can read on them. And, and one of them might say, all who read me weep because it, it, it was predicting that drought was coming and famine would soon follow. And, and this is a hunger stone. It's a warning to others. If you see this stone and you can read it, you need to start doing something because you're about to starve to death. Now, in my opinion, the Bible is full of such hunger stones. It's full of such warnings. And, and we're 
foolish to ignore them. We think we know better. We think we're an enlightened people because we can get, make, you know, we've got our cell phones and we can play video games on them. And we think we know better. The reality is we don't, we, we are dumber than ever. And if we, we reject the wisdom of the ancients at our own peril. So yes, uh, we need to get back to understanding that there are customs and traditions that were put in place not because they're prudes, not because they were unenlightened, but because they made the mistake already and they rejected it and tried to warn future generations. Here we are throwing it out, throwing it in the trash, saying, uh, we know better now. The tribal instinct, the sacred desire for people and place. And uh, I mentioned Amazon. Um, how else do we get a copy? You can get it through my website, forestmoretti.com a little bit slower, but it's not Amazon. So people tend to like that. But uh, unfortunately, digital and audiobook or Amazon's got such a racket on that. It's very difficult to, to do a digital and audiobook any other way. But uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll be able to do that soon. ForrestMoretti.com and um, MyIncredibleOpinion.com still up and running. Are you uh, going to be Yeah, able I don't publish a lot. I've, I've really been focusing on books right now, uh, a lot of books, but we'll, we'll see. It's always there. It, it, it's a silly, it's a silly thing. And, and sometimes I feel silly, other times not so much. I, I'm in a more serious mood right now. Yes, yes, I can tell. Well, this is a, this is a powerful book. Thank you so much. Appreciate for it. it. Great, uh, great speaking with you again. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to seeing you again. You too. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com. And we are...